Part three, chapter three of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Binyan and Malevsky. Part three, chapter three. The city continued burning. The Circus Maximus fell in ruins. In the section where the fire had started, whole alleys and streets had also fallen. After each fall, pillars of flame shot up toward the sky. The wind now changed and blew a gale from the sea, bearing down waves of flame and brands and cinders upon the Celian, the Esquiline, and the Viminal. The authorities were now providing means of rescue. At the order of Tigellinus, who three days before had hurried in from Antium, they pulled down the houses on the Esquiline, in order that the fire might die by itself on reaching the empty spaces. "'Twas a vain attempt undertaken only to preserve a remnant of the city, since that part which was already in flames was hopelessly doomed. It was necessary, however, to prevent the further spreading of the calamity. At one swoop incalculable wealth had perished in Rome. Most of the inhabitants had lost their all. Hundreds of thousands wandered about around the walls in utter destitution. As early as the second day, hunger began to torment the multitude. The immense stores of provisions amassed within the city had all been consumed. In this wholesale chaos, amid the dissolution of all authority, everyone thought only of providing himself with new supplies. Immediately after the arrival of Tigellinus, suitable orders were dispatched to Ostia. But the people, in the meantime, assumed a more menacing attitude. The house at the Aqua Appia, where Tigellinus lived, was surrounded by crowds of women who clamored from morning till late in the night for bread and roof. The Praetorians, who were brought from the great camp situated between the Via Salaria and the Nomentana, strove in vain to maintain order. Here and there the people stood in open-armed resistance. Elsewhere defenseless groups pointed to the blazing city and implored, "'Kill us in sight of this fire!' They cursed Caesar, his courtiers, and the Praetorian soldiers. The tumult increased every hour, so that Tigellinus, gazing at night on thousands of fires spread around the city, said to himself that they were the fires of hostile camps. Besides flour, as large a quantity as possible of baked bread was brought at his command, not only from Ostia but from all the surrounding towns and villages. But when the first convoy reached the Emporium at night, the people stormed the chief gate leading towards the Aventine and seized the supplies in the twinkling of an eye. Then followed a terrible uproar. In the light of the flames the mob struggled for loaves. Many were trampled upon. Flour from torn sacks covered as with snow the whole space from the corn-house to the arches of Drusus and Germanicus. The tumult lasted till the soldiers surrounded the buildings, and dispersed the mob with the help of arrows and darts. Never since the invasion of the Gauls under Brennus had Rome experienced a like disaster. In their despair the mob compared the two conflagrations. In the first there had remained, at least, the capital. But now the capital was surrounded by a terrible wreath of flame. Marble, it is true, could not burn, yet at night, when the wind turned the smoke aside for a moment, one could see rows of columns of the lofty sanctuary of Jove, red and glowing like burning coal. Again, in the time of Brennus, Rome had a patriotic and harmonious people attached to the city and their altars. 
now mobs of various tongues roamed about the walls of the burning city mostly composed of bond and freedmen unmanageable unruly and ready under pressure of want to turn against caesar and the city the very magnitude of the catastrophe filling as it did every heart with dismay disarmed the crowd to a certain extent after the scourge of fire would follow famine and disease the terrible hot days of july had set in it was impossible to inhale air heated by fire and sun night not only brought no relief but made a hell of the city in the daytime a dismaying and ill-omened sight was before them the very centre of the gigantic city upon the hills changed into a roaring volcano round about as far as the albanian hills was an immense encampment composed of booths tents huts wagons wheelbarrows packs of merchandise fireplaces covered with smoke and dust these were lighted by the beams of the sun which owing to the smoke shed a red and weird light on the whole full as it was of noise din threats hatred and terror a monstrous crowd of men women and children held possession among the quirites were greeks hairy blue-eyed and light-haired people from the north africans and asiatics among the citizens were slaves freedmen gladiators merchants tradesmen peasants and soldiers a veritable sea of humanity surrounding an island of fire various rumors stirred this sea just as the wind raises waves in the real one some were favorable and others unfavorable it was reported that immense stores of food and clothing were on their way from the emporium to be distributed gratis it was also said that at the command of caesar provinces in asia and africa would be stripped of their wealth and the wealth thus raised would be divided among the inhabitants of rome so that everybody might build his own house but it was also noised about that the water in the aqueducts was poisoned and that nero intended to destroy the city and annihilate all the inhabitants so that he might move to greece or egypt and rule the world from there each report spread with lightning-like speed each was received by the rabble as a fact so these various reports produced outbursts of hope indignation terror and rage finally these encamping thousands were attacked as by a fever the christian belief that the end of the world by fire was at hand spread itself even among the followers of the gods and increased daily some people were stupefied others went mad in the midst of the clouds lighted by the flames they saw gods looking down on the ruin of the world some stretched out their hands in supplication to them while others cursed them meanwhile the soldiers assisted by a number of citizens continued to destroy houses on the esquiline and the Celian, and also on the trans tiber important parts of these quarters were saved but in the city perished the accumulations of ages of conquest priceless works of art magnificent sanctuaries the most precious reminders of rome's past and of her glory one could foresee that of the whole city there would scarcely remain a few houses on the margin and that hundreds of thousands of people would remain without shelter a report spread that the soldiers were tearing down the houses not to stop the fire but to make sure that nothing was left of the city tigellinus implored caesar in every letter to return so that by his presence the exasperated people might be calmed but caesar did not move until his own palace was on fire and then hastened back so as not to miss the period when the fire should reach its maximum End of Part 3, Chapter 3